saw a funny uh, video, it just made me think about it in the offering time uh, of a church that uh, they made these t-shirts up, and I think it was just a funny video, but on the back it says, I give online, and so you're like, stand up and stretch uh, when the offering plate comes by. We do have online giving, I don't know if you know that, but uh, you can do that. So maybe we should pass some of those out. You feel better about not putting some, anyway. Um, Super Bowl today. You know that that's happening. Shake your head, yes or no. Ladies, do we know who's playing tonight? Who would that be? Broncos and the Seahawks. Where do Seahawks, where do they play? Seattle. Excellent. They need this information for tonight to help you out. Uh, I'm guessing that you guys are going to be watching the game. Who's pulling for the Seahawks? Who's pulling for the Broncos? Wow, there we go. Do you remember, this has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but uh, do you remember when uh, Sunday night services, we had those, and uh, during the Super Bowl, uh, can you imagine today if with smartphones, if we had Sunday night service during the Super Bowl, you'd see a lot of this part of people's heads, uh, the whole service. Uh, The Bible, if you have it on your phone, grab that right now. If you have a a regular Bible, you can grab that. So you're going to turn to Matthew chapter 20. If you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been in this series called Our Credo, and what we've been looking at is really the lifeblood of who we are as a church and who we are as people called by God, as a community of believers. The church in Nazarene came up with this statement about how we're basically summed up into three words. We're Christian, we're holiness, and we're missional. And we've kind of just expanded those a little bit, and we've taken a look at it in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Pastor Michelle talked last week, if you remember, about discipleship and how we're called to disciple and be discipled. So I don't know if you took that challenge last week, and this week maybe you're just remembering it now, that little post-it note of the names that you wrote down, who's going to disciple you and who are you going to disciple? I, I, I made a text this week, a couple of days ago, to someone that I'm going to have disciple me. And, and he's been doing that for a while now, to be honest, but now in a more formal setting. Uh, doctor, we must call him now, Jeffrey Johnson, is uh, my mentor and the person that's going to disciple me. Can you imagine if we all did that, though? I mean, I know you had that posted note. Maybe you, you still have it. What if we really did that? Every single person in the church was discipling someone and being discipled. How much deeper would we be? That's what we were challenged by last week, and and maybe you forgot about that, and maybe you want to remember this week and take that and see that out. This week, we're looking at worshiping and serving, and as we we grow deeper uh, in his word. Matthew 20, verse 20 through 28 is what we're looking at this morning, and uh, it's a great story uh, in the Bible and the gospel, and it starts this way. Then the mother of, the, of Zebedee's sons, Mrs. Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling da- down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. This is Jesus. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and at the other at your left in the kingdom. I love this scene. It's a mama. She's bringing up her two boys. And there they are. You got James and little Johnny. And she comes up to Jesus, and mom says, Jesus, would you make a mama proud? And puts, I don't know why she's Italian now, but uh, <laughs> would you put my boys on your left and your right? Have you seen, can you see that scene where moms are so proud of her boys? Look at, look, look, look at little Johnny. He's, 
Let me get that off of your, your, your chin, little Johnny. Uh, he plays the recorder like no one else in, in Jerusalem Elementary School. Uh, he, he makes all A's, and he's on the honor roll. I've got the sticker on the back of the camel to prove it. Uh, have you ever had those moments where mama embarrasses you a little bit in front of someone? Share your embarrassing mom story now with the person uh, beside you. Embarrassing mom story. You got one of those? What has mama done? Now, I have had the privilege, the privilege, I'm guessing a couple of these stories around the room have to do with sports in some way. Because I've been to many sporting events with some, some of you in the room right now and lots of other mamas and daddies. And when it comes to watching uh, sports, moms suddenly, something possesses them that they just, I, I was at a basketball game yesterday upwards for like six-year-olds and this grandma who I thought could barely walk suddenly, whoa, she just, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, just that just comes out of you. I, I've kind of, through the years, have made fun of moms and dads who do these kind of things. And sometimes it gets a little crazy at some of these games. But I now have a son uh, that is in sports. And so that thing is, like, inside of me sometimes. And I have to, like, not say the thing that I want to say and just kind of control yourself in that, those moments. But mom is proud here. And I don't know, as we look at this passage, I don't know if the boys, uh, if they put mom up to this. Hey, mom, go talk to Jesus for me. Or if this was mom's idea. But we know that here is mom with these, the two sons. And he comes, they come up to Jesus. And she says, can, I, can she sit on my le- your left and your right when you get into the kingdom? Now what's the reaction here? You don't know, this is verse 22. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Come, drink the cup. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And they answered, we can. And this is foreshadowing. What's, what? What commentators tell us is basically what he's talking about with this cup is the cup basically of martyrdom. Remember in the garden when Jesus prays and he says, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. This, this cup is representing the cross, the death that's about to happen. And when he's asking them, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they answer, we can. Yeah, God, we can do that. They have no clue what they're saying. And you reread on. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. Maybe he's, there's a little bit of foreshadowing here, knowing that James would actually be martyred himself. He would be killed for the cause. But to sit at my right, hand, right or left is not up for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Now, this scene's being set we see the boys, we see mom, and then suddenly there's ten others in the picture. The next verse says this, when the ten heard about this, the other ten disciples, they were indignant with the two brothers. Indignant, do you know what that means? They were hacked, they were ticked, all right? They were ticked, how dare these two? How dare these, I cannot believe these two, I can't believe that they would ask Jesus this. How dare them? How dare them ask their mother of all people to go and talk to Jesus and ask for these places of honor and, and, and right beside him in the kingdom? I can't believe that they would stoop to such levels. And I can't believe that they thought of it before me. Because that was what's on their minds. 
It's this thought of, hey, wait a second. I see what you're doing. You're angling. You're maneuvering. You're trying to, to get up the list. You see, I, I, I kind of have a theory, especially about high school kids and middle school kids in general, that there's this list that's out there. It's actually printed. Some, I guess, schools might have a printed list. It's called the cool list, all right? And you're constantly trying to make your way up the cool list. And uh, when I was in school, the cool list, you, you were higher up if you had a, a nicer car or if you were going out with the right people or if you were old enough by the age of like 14 to have a mustache, then you were like on the cool list. You would go higher and higher. Yes, you, Robbie, you're on that cool list. <laughs> 20 years old and I was still not shaving. But it's like these things that get you up this list. Now that list, the qualifications of this list, they, they change. Now it's about how thick uh, hipster glasses that you can wear and how tight can your skinny jeans be and some other things. that are, But there's these, still there's these lists that we have, and, and they kind of, let's be honest, we have those lists still when we're older, too. We're trying to make it up, these lists. And Jesus hears that in their language and their talk about, you don't get it. You, st- you still don't get it. You've been with me all this time. I've been telling you about the kingdom. I've been telling you what it looks like. And it's an alternative kingdom than what the world tells us gets us to greatness. It's it's different. And they still don't get it. I wonder if he rolled his eyes as he heard them talk like this. He said, guys, guys, you don't get it. And he calls them together and kind of has this huddle. And that's where we find him again. Jesus calls them together, and he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And I wonder if the disciples, when they heard this, they thought, that's exactly what we want. We want power. We want position. We want people to look at us. We want to tell people what to do. That's what we're after, Jesus. And he's saying, you know, you know that they lord it over people. And what does Jesus say to the disciples? I love this verse, verse 24, 6. Not so with us. The world has set this, this place of, this is what greatness looks like. This is power. This is having stuff. This is people knowing your name. Because isn't that what gets you on the cool list today? I mean, it seems like, Anybody will do about anything to get famous these days, uh, to make a YouTube video that gets X amount of hits. Or even, remember the story about that family that they had this, they made the story about a balloon and their six-year-old, was it Balloon Boy, was that? How ridiculous is that? That they would make up a story uh, basically about their son being in this balloon that, that suddenly out of control in the atmosphere, calling police and news stations just so they can get the attention of the story. We're looking to do anything to get attention. People will hurt themselves intentionally on YouTube so they can get so many hits. People will go on American Idol and sing terribly on purpose in hopes that they would be the next William Hung and get so many hits on iTunes. What people will do for for just having name recognition. That's what we want. And Jesus says this, not so with us. Not so with us. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first 
must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for, for many. Now here's a theme that we hear a lot in, throughout Scripture. Jesus talks about it a couple of times. He said it, says it this way, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he, he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see that in Matthew 23. You see it in Luke chapter 18. And this is what he's been trying to teach the disciples. He's been trying to tell them this. I've been fascinated for a little bit about um, this guy, a scientist named Copernicus. And he was the first person, you you do realize for the longest time, we really thought that everything revolved around the earth, that the planets revolved around the earth, the sun revolved around the earth. You know what that theory is called? Geocentric theory. The kids listen. The kids listen in school. Geocentric uh, theory. It's basically that everything revolves around the earth. And then this guy Copernicus comes along and several others before him. But he finally had the guts to say it because he was afraid, well, if I say it, then I don't know what's going to happen to me. They might even burn me at the stake. He waits to the end of his life for that very reason. And he says, Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to publish this book, and it's called On the Revolutions of the Celestial Spheres. That Oh, yeah, by the way, everything revolves around the sun. We've had it wrong for all these years, okay? And, of course, we know that to be true. But when that first came out, this is big-time stuff, folks. They actually killed one of his assistants. They buried him at the stake for even suggesting it that it would be true. It's hard for us to believe that everything wouldn't revolve around us. I mean, do you see this picture, why it's pretty easy to, to get there? I mean, that's the, the view the world has. That's what they're pumping into us all the time, that life revolves around, around us. But we know that's not true, right? We do know that, right? Right? Right, good answer. I, uh, I need worship. I, I have to have it. I, I've learned that pretty early in life. When I was uh, in college, I went to school at a, a Christian school, and my parents, they, I, they said, you've got to be at church every week. That's kind of a part of the deal. We never questioned that at all. And uh, when I got to school, I said, you know that first Sunday that I had the option? I'm not going to church. I don't need church. I'm going mean, to sleep in. It was about 11.30 that suddenly like God just like put the guilt trip on me, and I tried to make it to church and didn't. But something happened that week. As God kind of revealed himself to me, I, I need worship. I've got to be with God's people. I, I, I need it during the week. I need it all the time. And by worship, I mean I need these moments when we recognize who God is and who he really is. And I need that constantly in my life. You see this in the Bible. You see it in great passages like Isaiah 6. We've read that a, the last couple of weeks. But then there's a passage in, in Revelation. If you want to flip to that. Where John, he's on this island, and uh, it's the island of Patmos. And suddenly he hears a voice. I turned around to see the voice. This is, this is John talking, speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, Reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. 
His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing water. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. Can you see this scene? Majestic, powerful. His face was like the sun shining in its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell, like, I fell down to, the, to my feet like I was dead. Have you had those encounters with greatness before? Encounters with God? I, I've, I've met a couple of famous people, happenstance before in my life. Uh, in fact, once I was parking cars and uh, we found out that Ashley Judd was going to come in. Remember Ashley Judd? Uh, she was going to come into the restaurant. And of course, as I'm talking to some guys that I'm working with, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go and talk to her. Yeah, because... I'm the man, of course, and uh, this is college, this is college. Uh, back then I thought I had game, but now I know I have no game at all, and never did, if you know what that means. But uh, Ashley Judd's coming into the restaurants, and so there's this chatter about, well, she's an actress, if you don't know who she is, but when she, she arrives in her car, somehow I'm the guy that gets the keys, and I open the door, and there she is, and I, the, thing, the only thing I can get out of my mouth is, uh, the, 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 <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that was it. I just like stammered through and it was, it was just like a, I was just hit with this moment. I, I just put my hand out and I was like, just give me your keys. I'll take your car wherever you want to, ma'am. Uh, I didn't even say that. And as I'm driving away, my friends are like, <laughs> as I'm, anyway. But that's what happens when you, you kind of get into these, these moments. But this moment, this moment, it's not just a stammering moment. When you get into the presence of God, I mean, we see that in Isaiah 6. When he comes into the presence of God, when John saw God here in, this, in his presence, he hit the ground like a dead man. I need worship because it, it puts things in the right order. It puts me in the right place. I realize pretty simply when I'm in God's presence, I was reminded of that this morning. He is God, and I am not. He is God, and I am not. And somehow, things seem to get off during the week. And the things that my life is rotating around kind of gets mixed up. I love to worship I love to worship when I'm running. I love to worship as I'm reading God's word because what worship really is, I think, it's a corporate and it's an individual opportunity for us to recognize who God really is. We recognize who God really is and what he's done for us and that puts things back in the right order and we express it in music. We express it when we read scripture. We express it when we physically react. We say, you are God and I am not and I need you. And it's... It's a beautiful thing. I'm reminded when I hear God's, the words that we did this morning that he is able. He is the one that does. He is greater and I am less. Worship is the catalyst to humility. When we realize the right order, we begin to recognize what this humility is all about. It's easy to forget though, isn't it? It's easy to forget. I'm gonna be honest, uh, just confession this morning. I intentionally don't post things, pictures and comments on Facebook. I'm not ready for it yet. 
I'm not. And, and there's lots of different reasons for that. But you know what? I don't want to sit there and look and see how many likes did I get. And how many comments did I get? I know that I'll do that. Because that just fuels my pride. Hey, they're looking. They're watching. <laughs> That's right. I don't I do that intentionally. I, I can't do that. Because pride just swells up within us sometimes. And it takes different forms. Am I the only one that deals with that? Because I kind of think that every single person in this room on a weekly basis, maybe monthly basis deals with pride and it it rears its head up in different ways in our lives all the time pride pride says this pride always wants attention it always wants to take the credit or needs to hear the credit for things pride is it's self-seeking it, it causes us to never give an inch to be stubborn to blind us how wrong we are sometimes pride tells us that my time is more valuable than yours. Pride says that I'm more important. Pride says that, you know what? I shouldn't be doing this. I got better things to do. Pride is what often causes us to be so busy trying to accomplish things, to be noticed, that it causes us to miss the truth. And it's sneaky. Sometimes pride sneaks up to it on us in this whole form of false humility. Like, if I'm just doing this job over here that no one notices, then maybe they'll notice me and I'll get the attention that I deserve for doing this thing that no one else is doing. Sometimes pride takes the kind of opposite uh, course. Instead of everyone look at me, no one looks at me. Nobody cares about me. I'm not good for anything. God can never use me. And as we say that, that's, maybe you're saying, well, that, that's, not, that's, that's the world revolving around me. And that's pride in a different form. Can I, can I tell you this morning, this, is, this might hurt us. But God, he can't stand pride. He cannot stand. In fact, what his word tells us this morning is this. In 1 Peter 5, 5, and all of you, Serve each other in humility because God, he opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. He opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on the wrong side of opposing God. I don't think that's a good place to be at all. I don't want to be in opposition of God. But we know, we know the result of pride. The result of pride is brokenness. The result of pride is, is loneliness. The, the result of pride is us being the audience and always seeking. It, it's, it's hard work. It, it's not where God wants us to live. Pride always leads to emptiness and loneliness. God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. He calls us to be humble, to have a quality of humility. Now, when we say humility, we're not talking about weakness or shyness or being self-deprecating all the time. The great thing about worship, it tells us who our God is, but it also tells us who we are. We are greatly loved by God. We have a God that is for us. He is for you today, and I hope you heard that message as we were worshiping. He's a God that forgives. He's a God that, that loves 
And he's a God that encourages and picks us up. We see that in, in Revelation. When John is hit with this amazing vision of who God is, he's flat on the ground, and what happens? God says, don't be afraid. I have a message for you. In Isaiah, when Isaiah is just all face down to the ground, when he's in the presence of God, what happens? He says, he brings these angels over, and he says, I have a coal from the altar, and I, I know that you say you have unclean lips, but I want to purify those lips and purify your heart. He gives us those opportunities. He says, I want the best for you. And that's what we realize. We realize and we seek that love. We get that love when we're here and we're in worship and we recognize who God is. And this is a characteristic. This humility, this humbleness is not something new. We see it all throughout the gospel. We see it from the very beginning. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we heard the story of Jesus and how he was born. How was he born? He was born where? A manger. A manger of all places. A cave. A stable. The king of kings and the lord of lords, he, was, he humbled himself. And he continued to do that throughout his ministry, serving others, loving others. He had no place to call his own uh, home. And he, and he went around as a god, as a humble servant. He even washed his disciples' feet. He got on his hands and his knees. And the creator of everything washes feet. And after the end of that, that conversation, he says, I'm calling you to do the same. I'm calling you to follow my example. And he says it beautifully in Philippians uh, through Paul. He says this, Therefore, if, if, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love being one in spirit and mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambitious, ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but to, the, to each of you to the interest of others. God has called us to this life of humility. That's the DNA of who we should be as Christians. That's the DNA of who we should be as a church. Wouldn't that be great if we were known here at HFC as being a church. I mean, I just, people there were just so humble. It just was full of humility, just serving each other and serving God. I'm inspired by humility. I love to see it. I, I don't know about you. It, when I see humility in other people, man, it just, it, it warms my heart and it causes me to want to do the same. When I was in Florida um, and ministry as a youth pastor, there was a guy that would, would come on Saturdays and he would wash windows. He would wash all the windows, an older gentleman in his 70s. And he came to worship. I didn't really know everybody at the time, but a couple of weeks down the row, I asked the, the pastor, like, who is this gentleman that, that's coming on Saturdays? He said, oh, that's Mr. Rex. Mr. Rex comes about every Saturday and washes the windows. Well, oh, cool, that's great. That's fantastic. I talked to Mr. Rex, greatest guy in the world. It wasn't until about three years in until I realized that Mr. Rex was a multimillionaire, created his own business from the ground up. And what did he do? He was washing windows on Saturday at his church. He's also the same guy that's just almost like in some kind of, uh, I don't know, drug deal-like pass. He would like pass me as we were uh, shaking hands. You remember the, you know, the meet and greet? I would suddenly, he would know camp was coming up or retreat, and there would be an exchange and he would never want me to acknowledge it, of a check, scholarships, 
money for kids to go. He was the same guy that uh, called me one day and said, hey, Matt, uh, I'll let you come to my house for something. I want to just chat with you. Go to his house, humble house for a man of, of his wealth. I've got, I just noticed that uh, maybe you might need a, a, new, a, a suit or two because uh, one day, one day you might be preaching. I'm not wearing any suit today, uh, but four suits he gave to me. Whew. Inspiring, men like that. I'm inspired when I, when I see stories uh, like I did, I was reminded of one this week. There's a story that I read in the papers about the most sung person in the world, the most sung artist in the world. And if you begin to guess, you might think, well, is that Justin Timberlake? Uh, is that, uh, I don't know, who would we name? Uh, the Beatles or, you know, at, at any given time in the world right now, do you know who the most sung artist in the world is? Chris Tomlin. It's Chris Tomlin. Chris Tomlin, we sang a couple of his songs this morning, sung more than anyone else in the world right now on the lips of people. You know, the story I love the most about Chris Tomlin is this one. Um, it's his first gig. It's his first paying gig as a, as a worship concert kind of setting. And people, they've, been, they've actually flown Chris and his band in to the area for this great, huge youth rally. They're going to packed house kind of thing. You know, hundreds if not thousands of, of people listening to their music and, and singing their music. And something happens. Uh, there's a, another event that's happening exact same time in town that Chris is going to have this concert. First concert ever. Paid dick. I mean, this is Chris Tomlin, you know. So the, the organizer of the event realizes pretty quickly that no one is going to be at the concert. No one. I mean, no one. Because everyone is going to the, I think it was a football game that was happening. And so what does the organizer do? He goes to this house that the people in the area know about. It's for the deaf and the blind. Load up 20 deaf and blind kids. And that's who Chris had the concert for, the very first concert. 20 deaf and blind kids, and he gave the concert of his life to kids. Half of them couldn't see him, and half of them couldn't hear him, which is a pretty good setting for you and I, Michelle, if we want to do a concert. <laughs> I'll let you determine the seeing and the hearing part of that, which one. But, but that's a person that got it very early, and God is, God's honored that. I read also in that article that, you know what Chris's favorite part of concerts is? Is the moments that he just steps back and just can worship. And no one, he doesn't sing. When people are worshiping and praising God. And he says, you know what? I would love to not sing at all during concerts, but they have my name on the, the, the billboard, so I have to occasionally jump in once or twice. Man, it's a person who gets this humility thing. Humility you see, worship is the catalyst to humility, and that leads us to serve others, to serving other people. There's another person that gets, and I've been inspired. I don't know if you read this article this week. Man, I want Peyton Manning to win tonight in the Broncos. Uh, I would love that for that to happen. But I read this story this week. He, uh, there was these, these twins in the hospital, and they're fighting for their life in Seattle. And... Uh, the article goes that the dad is, was basically 
exhausted from stress. And he's sitting beside um, his son's bed. When suddenly there's a presence in the room. And he feels not a handshake, but a hug. And the words come out, I've heard about your son. I've heard that he's fighting for his life, and I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And it's the voice of Russell Wilson. Whoa, that's scary. Um, and uh, it's Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is the quarterback of the Seahawks. And... Uh, we can, we can take that one off. Uh, he's a quarterback of the Seahawks, and uh, ever since he signed in Seattle, every Tuesday, he goes to the hospital. They call it uh, Blue Tuesday, and he shows up at Seattle Children's Hospital, and he spends time with kids. And I know that athletes do some of this stuff, and I think... Man, unfortunately, half the time they probably do it for the picture op. Um, but this guy's legit. You see, um, I follow him on Twitter, and he posts more scripture than you can imagine. Every single day, he's posting scripture and, and praises about God because worship is the catalyst to humility. And it causes us to serve. And I know that picture, you couldn't see it very well. But uh, there's a guy that's two people, I think one or two people over, and his name is Macklemore. And some people know who Macklemore is in the room. They're probably younger than the age of 30. Um, this is what Macklemore said. Macklemore is a, a secular artist that, uh, to my knowledge, is not a Christian. But what he said is this. I've, I've been inspired by Russell. And he's inspired me to be a better man. You see, that's is what the world needs to see. That's what it needs to see from us. That's what it needs to see from us all the time. And that's what they see, needs to see from the church. Humility. Humility. Serving. I saw it, I saw it very early on at this church from students. There was a, stu- there's a, there's a situation that I heard from, a, and I'm not going to tell you their name, but there was a student that was coming up on their quinceanera. And a special date in the life of, of a girl, the quinceanera, 15th birthday, and, and the money that is saved up for that, for this beautiful, special day. This young girl, she decided to, she decided to give all her money for her quinceanera to World Vision. To feed kids that don't have food. That's inspiring inspires me. Worship is the catalyst to humility, which inspires us to serve others that ultimately results in greatness, in true greatness, real greatness, real honor. Now, there's another person. We've mentioned him. His name is Jesus. And we go back to that Philippians passage. Philippians 2 continues on. We read a little bit of it there. And it says this in verse 5. Because of his great love for us, God, I'm sorry, that would be Ephesians, which is an awesome verse too. 
He loves us. He does. You could have just kept going. Could have kept going. Your attitude should be the same of Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Who is in the very nature God? He is God. He was God. But he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every single tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. You see, what happens is when we humble ourselves, God lifts us up. He gives us honor. He gives us greatness. Not a greatness that the world knows about. Not an honor that this world knows about, but a greatness that comes in serving the Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I hope that you catch a glimpse of his glory. Not to, woe is me, to be thankful. God, thank you for loving me so much. I want to be like you. I want to serve like you. I don't want the credits. I don't need the likes. I just want you. And that's where we find identity. And that's where we find truth. This morning we have the opportunity to celebrate exactly what Christ did. Can I tell you that God had a choice. He chose to go to the cross. They didn't make him go to the cross. He chose. He's God. He chose to be arrested that night. He allowed them to beat him. He allowed them to flog him. He allowed them to, to nail him to a cross. At any second, he could have said, no, I'm God. He allowed them because he is the ultimate servant. He emptied himself for you and for me. And so this morning, as we go to the Lord's table and we remember what he's done for us, the ultimate act of a servant so that we can be forgiven, we want to pass that on to other people. We're going we're gonna to have communion this morning. And as you come this morning, we're going to have servers. They're coming up now. They're going to serve the first person that comes up. They're going to serve, and the way we we're going to take communion this morning is by intention. Basically, you, you take a piece of bread and you, you dip it in the cup, and you remember what Christ has done for us. And once you have done that, you, are in turn, are going to be the server for the next person. And we're going to pass down grace this morning. So I remind you tonight, today, that on the night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took a a, a cup and bread. He took the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. It's broken for me. It's not deserved. There's nothing you can do to earn it. But he, his body was broken for you. And he said, this, this is my blood which was shed for you. It's for your sins. Take and be thankful this morning and pass his grace.
I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna invite you to the table. Lord, you're so good to us. Lord, there's nothing that we can say to give you proper praise and worship this morning, God, but the thing that we can do, Lord, and I pray that we would do it, is we can love and we can pass on your grace and your humility. God, may it be in our DNA, Lord, not for attention that we get for serving, but because it's who we are. Lord, fill our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would push away the pride, Lord, not just today, but all the time, God, with our eyes focused on you, God. Lord, may we love like you have taught us to love. May we be imitators of you, Lord, in all that we do and all that we say, because you deserve it. Lord, you are great and you are good. Thank you for this table. Thank you for your grace. We celebrate you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, I hope you leave this morning not ripping your clothes and let's put ashes over our face and woe is me. I, let's leave today with the confidence of the right order of things. That God is God and God is for us. He is for you. He has forgiven us. He has set us free. And when we realize that, when we put those things in the right order, man, he wants to use us in big ways, in huge ways. May you go in the peace and the knowledge that Christ is for you. He has died for you and he has set you free. Go in grace.